1: Well, oh, I'm David Freeman Webb. Is that really in the Bible? Question, was Jesus a humanitarian? Was Jesus a humanitarian? That is a person committed to improving the lives of other people. Now, I think a lot of people want to believe that that's what Jesus was. In other words, it goes something like this. If I can just convince myself that Jesus was just a humanitarian why i can be like jesus that will make me like jesus if i can just convince myself that all he was was just a humanitarian you know i'll give the bum on the street Five dollars, he's got a little sign, we'll work for food. I'll give him twenty dollars, you know. That will ma- I'll be just like Jesus. I'll give to needy organizations, I'll work in a soup kitchen, you know, and uh, I'm all for making the world a better place to live, you know. I think a lot of environmentalists probably think they're like Jesus. They sort of, you know, they had this illusion that, that Jesus would have been an environmentalist, you know, he'd have been a tree hugger. You know, just trying to make the world all a better place and and make sure everything's cleaned up. You know, that's the concept that a lot of people have. So in their mind, if I can just convince myself that all Jesus was was just a humanitarian, well, then I can be like Jesus. You know, C.S. Lewis said either Jesus was who he said he was or he was a lunatic or a madman. Now, who did Jesus say he was? Well, let me tell you. He said he was the son of God. Before Abraham, I am. That statement nearly got him killed, but he was talking about his pre-existence with the Father that has gone on for eternity. In other words, the instrument the Father used to create all things was none other than Jesus Christ. Yes, the instrument the Father used To create all things was none other than Jesus Christ. The instrument that the Father has always used to interact with mankind has been Jesus Christ. So, Jesus, listen, he was not a humanitarian. What did Jesus and Mother Teresa have in common? Very little, very little. Now, many people think that Jesus, that's all he was, was just a humanitarian, and that's what the church should be doing. The church should be going about, you know, trying to make the world a better place to live. That's the role of the church. You know, one time I, have, I put out on our church sign, you can't be Christian and pro-choice. And I got this nasty letter that was sent to me, actually it was placed on the doorstep of our church. And it was just ridiculing, you know. It was saying, well, you shouldn't be going about making statements like that. Your church ought to be about doing good deeds and good works and trying to help the poor and all this. In other words, the idea was you shouldn't speak the truth. Yeah, truth. You should just be about humanitarian works. Trying to make the world a better place to live. You know, many people worship a false Jesus. A Jesus that just went around trying to make the world a better place to live. If Jesus were here, he would hand out condoms so that people can have safe sex. Uh, if Jesus was here, he'd work at a soup kitchen. You know, giving people soup. Yet the Bible says, "If well, a man won't work, neither should he eat. That's what your Bible says. Well, if a man will not work, he shouldn't eat. You don't feed him if he's not working, okay? In a way, you know, people... It's it's sort of, they even go as far as to say that Jesus was sort of like a socialist. That everything was just like a free handout. Sort of like big government, you know, just go around and just, you know, just, just, you know, Jesus. If Jesus was here, he'd make sure everybody could go to college for free. Yeah. He'd make sure a sports car was in every garage. Now, if you believe that, let me tell you something. You are a buffoon if you believe that. You know nothing about the Bible. You know nothing about Jesus Christ if you believe that. Now, on a larger scale, Jesus performed the greatest humanitarian effort ever. And it's found in a message. Here's the message. Matthew 4 and verse 17. From that time, Jesus began to preach and to say, repent for the kingdom of heaven is. Is at hand you know his humanitarian work was found in a message this single and the message was repent repent of your sins this single act would improve the lives of all people and all nations the greatest humanitarian effort was accomplished without so much as lifting a finger it was found in the message repent if I repent, the quality of my life will take care of itself. If I repent, my life will improve. If I will, uh, will repent, things will change for me. They'll change for the better. So if my life is not working, what does that tell me? It tells me probably there's something I need to repent of. So it would seem to me what is more important is to get the message what the church should be doing is getting a message to a sin-sick world. You need to repent of your sins. You know, it's sort of like that saying, is it better to teach a man how to fish? You know, it's better to teach a man how to fish for himself than to just go out and buy a bunch of fish and say, here you go, here you go. No, it's far better to teach a man how to fish for himself. Well, this is the message of repentance. It's far better for me to teach you how you can make, how your life can work, through the message of repentance. If you surrender to God in unconditional surrender. That's a big if. If you surrender in unconditional surrender. You throw you put up your white flag and you say, God, I am sick of trying to figure this thing out for myself. My life is not working. I surrender. If you surrender to God and you repent and you're willing to keep his commandments, you know what you got to repent of. You've got to repent of sin. What is sin? The breaking of God's law, the Ten Commandments. You know, your life can t- will take care of itself if your life will begin to work as you comply to the law of God, as you submit to the law of God. Your life will begin to work. Now, the problem is most of you don't realize that you are a sinner. That's the biggest problem I run into in dealing with people. They go around they say, I have nothing that I need to repent of. That's called self-delusion. That's self-delusion. Now let me ask you some questions. Do you like a little bit of, maybe not a lot, but a little bit of internet pornography? If so, you are a sinner. Are you living with your boyfriend, girlfriend, in a sexual relationship without the commitment of getting married? If so... You are a sinner. Uh, are you productive six days a week? If not, you are a sinner. Are you breaking God's Sabbath by treating it like just any old ordinary day when where you can do whatever you want to do? If you're breaking God's Sabbath, you are a sinner. Now that we've clarified that, now I only dealt with three points. By the way, I could go. You know, there's seven more that we can go through here. But anyway. You know, ours is a fix-the-symptom society. The symptom is a sign that something greater, more serious, is going on. You know, it's, it's C.S. Lewis talked about how that we are. He talked about, you know, it's like inviting God over to fix. you got a little plumbing problem in your house. you got a leak. And you invite God over to fix your plumbing. And now he'll fix your plumbing. But before you know it, God is tearing down walls He's building a wing over here. He's building a wing over here. He's, de- he's demolishing your whole house. He's, he's building a mansion that you didn't even ask for. All you wanted was him for to fix your plumbing. It's sort of like a lot of people say, well, I just want you to fix God this little addiction I got, the smoking addiction. Well, yeah, God will help you with that smoking addiction. But he's not going to stop with your smoking addiction. He's going to tear, he's going to re- he's going to demolish your house and rebuild it because he's gonna live in it. He's gonna live in your temple, and things have got to change about, you've got to get your house in order before God's gonna live in it. So, uh, what I'm saying is Jesus was absolutely not about just fixing, fixing symptoms, okay? Luke 14, verse 33. So likewise, whosoever he be of you that forsake not all that he has, he cannot be my disciple. In other words, it's all or nothing at all. Now, humanitarian efforts does not make us a Christian nation. I hate to inform you of that, but it's true. It doesn't, in other words, I think a lot of people, the way they avoid repentance is through humanitarian works. It's sort of like compensation. When one area is lacking, we overachieve in another area to make up for the void. But notice what God says about all of our good works in Isaiah 64 and verse 6. He says, but we are as an unclean thing, and all of our righteousness are as filthy rags. And we all do fade as a leaf, and our iniquities like the wind have taken us away. In other words, if you're doing all these humanitarian works to get right with God, you've just missed the boat. You've just missed the boat. The church, believe it or not, is not established for making the world a better place to live. The church is not a humanitarian effort committed to improving the lives of other people. The church is not established for fixing symptoms. The church does not hand out condoms so that people can have safe sex. God never intended for the church to attack the monumental, impossible task of somehow establishing the kingdom of God on this earth. No, God will take care of that when he returns. At his return, he's he's going to establish the government of God on this earth. The church message is repent. It's all or nothing at all. So was Christ a humanitarian? No, no, no. Jesus' humanitarian effort was found in one word, repent. Turn from your wicked ways, turn from your sins. Now, I will say this about good works and humanitarian efforts. God will reward you according to your works. Now, the reward is not salvation, but he will if you've been involved in helping the poor, helping the needy, soup kitchens, whatever you've been involved in. Yes, God will reward you for those good works. What I'm saying is this, the church has replaced the message of repentance with just humanitarian efforts. Humanitarian efforts won't get you saved because if it could, that would be salvation by works. But again, you will, if you have been involved, and I'm not knocking humanitarian efforts, I'm just saying if you've been involved in that, God will reward you according to your works. But your reward is not salvation. Okay. God will, but he will reward you. Probably in the second resurrection. All right. Now notice Luke 4 and verse 24. And he said, verily I say unto you, no prophet is accepted in his own country. Now let me set the stage here. The people that Jesus was speaking to here, they were the religious ilk of his day. And they believed that they were God's country. They probably wrote on their currency, you know, in God we trust. They probably had their pledges that they sang in, in school and stuff. And you know, The idea was, we are God's people. If God is working anywhere, he's working right here. That, that was the mentality. And Jesus comes along and he says, Now, barely I say unto you, no prophet is accepted in his own country. In other words, the attitude was, well, he can't be nobody. He's one of us. I never understood that kind of mentality, that kind of thinking, but that's how people think. Well, he's from, that's a boy down the street. He can't be nobody. Yeah, he works down there at that garage. He can't be, he's one of us. He can't be nobody because we're nobody. That's how people think. All right. Now, again, these people were, they viewed themselves as God's people. Sort of like Americans do. Americans, we've got 450,000 churches that dot the landscape in America. We've got 650,000 preachers in America. We've got 42,000 bickering denominations in America. Okay, we sort of view ourselves as, yeah, we, we're we God's people here. we got it all together. Okay, now let's notice what Jesus said to these self-righteous people who thought they were God's people. Uh, Luke 4 and verse 25. But I say to you a truth. Many widows were in Israel in the days of Elias when the heavens were shut out three years and six months. When great famine was throughout all the land. But unto none of them was he sent, save Sarepta, the city of Sidon, and to a woman that was a widow. And many lepers were in the Israel in the time of Elises the prophet. And none of them was cleansed, saving Naaman the Syrian. And all they that were in the synagogue when they heard these things were filled with wrath and rose up and thrust him out of the city and led him to the brow of the hill whereon the city was built that they might cast him down headlong. But he passing through the midst of them went his way. This so offended them that they tried to kill him. Now, why? Do you know why it so enraged them? That what Jesus was saying. He was saying, "Look, there are many sick people. There's many. You, know, you had famine throughout the land. God didn't do a thing. He just did one little minute thing. You know, uh, there are many lepers in the land, and God didn't do anything. You know, this so offended them." What Jesus was trying to tell these people is that God's not working here. God has abandoned ship. It would be let me give you an analogy of what it would be like. It would be like Jesus coming to your church and standing up behind the pulpit and saying, you know, as I look across your land, you've got four hundred and fifty thousand churches in America. You've got six hundred and fifty thousand preachers in America. You've got forty two thousand different bickering denominations that can't get along with one another. You've got your religious icons. You've got your Joel Osteen. You've got your Rick Warner. You've got your T.D. Jakes. You've got your Kenneth Copeland. You've got your screamers. I tell you, he went up, he did not go down. You've got your gaspers. God should let the spiritual seat come down upon your head. and Let you die in your sin and go to hell. You've got your erudite. Why, Jesus said, they that behold need not a physician, but they that are sick. Well, I don't know about that. You know, you've got religion coming out of your eyes, ears, nose, and throat. And yet, when the terrorists flew into your Twin Towers, I didn't do a thing. I could have so easily prevented that. I could have just a little twist here, a little confusion going on here, wrong plane, check out, you know. um, I could have so easily prevented that but I didn't do a thing. You've got mad gunmen coming into your churches, schools, theaters, killing people, and I didn't do a thing to stop it. Now, when Jesus made this kind of statement 2,000 years ago, it nearly got him killed. It so enraged those people And, you know, you hear things like, oh, the mighty work the Lord is doing here today. You know, we're handling snakes and we're speaking in a gibberish that no one can understand. And we just healed Bertha Butts' big toe. Praise Jesus, you know. The mighty works God is doing here in America. You know, let me tell you what God is doing. He's giving us enough rope to hang ourselves. We're transforming into a socialist, communist form of government. We're about to give away our freedom. You think God's working in this? He's giving us enough rope to hang ourselves. And yet the Lord is working mightily here today. Is he? Is he? Is that what you see? I don't see it. And there's a reason why. Because as a nation, we refuse to repent. We refuse to repent as a nation. Why did they want to kill him when Jesus spoke these words? Because they thought, well, we're God's people. Why? We, we're, God's, we're God's country. We got our religion. You know, we we got in God we trust on our currency, you know. One nation under God, we're God's people. You see, we love our religion when it has no discipline. Let me tell you, our religion doesn't have any discipline. There's no discipline in religion. It's been abandoned. We love our religion that requires no profession of faith. We love our no works, grace plus nothing, dead theology religion. We love it. Now what can you do? What can you do as an individual, or if you have any influence over a church. I want to leave you with something that you can do. Now in 1 John 3 and verse four, this is so simplistic what I'm about to tell you. In 1 John 3 and verse four it says, whosoever commits sin transgresses also the law. For sin is the transgression of the law. The place to start is with a thorough examination of each one of the Ten Commandments. How have I personally broken the Ten Commandments? That's where you begin. You begin, if you have any authority over a church, you you begin with a thorough explanation of what is sin and how we have personally broken it, broken the law of God. Basically, what I'm talking about is a return to the law of God and repentance, but it's gotta start you know i'd like to think it would start in church i mean where else should it start shouldn't it start in church a return to the law of god Now, you've got to get rid of bad theology, that's for sure. If you're preaching to your congregation what they want to hear, I'm telling you what they want to hear. Your congregation wants to hear the law has been abolished, it's been nailed to the cross, there's nothing we must do, just believe, just accept, grace plus nothing, just raise your hand and invite Jesus into your heart. That's what your people want to hear. But you've got to be man enough to tell them the truth. You know, and you've got to talk about things that may get you thrown out of the pulpit you gotta talk, You got to talk about sin. you got to take each one of the Ten Commandments and go through the list of all ten and say, this is how we have broken God's law, individually and collective as a nation. You know, and if we would do that together... We could see, you know, maybe there is some hope here that we could turn this nation around. I'm just saying our religion is not getting God's attention. It's not getting God's attention. We think we're a religious nation because we write on our dollar bills in God we trust or whatever. We think we're a relig- because we got so many churches, because we got so many preachers. We think we're a religious nation. We think... Be- We sing in a choir and we praise God and things like that. You know, we think we're a religious nation, but we're not. Our Christian, the type of Christianity we've been practicing is not bringing us closer to God. It's getting us further away from the God. The very fact that we're on the brink of choosing a socialistic communist form of government which is what Bernie Sanders is all for, you know, and Hillary, as far as that goes. You know, uh, just one is a slower process. But, But, you know, the fact that we are on the brink of choosing that should tell us, man, how far have we gotten away from God? God's ideal, God's law, God's concept of right and wrong. That the individual should be able to govern himself. That the best, the best form of government is when the individual is able to govern himself. By the power of the Holy Spirit, where God's spirit writes his laws upon our hearts and mind, that's the best form of government where you can govern yourself. And you don't need anybody to do these things for you. You want college, get off your butt and pay for it, for pity's sake. My goodness, who taught you that everything is a free ride? I meet a lot of young people that everything is supposed to be free, a free ride. Why do you think you deserve anything? It's unreal, the attitudes that are out there. So I'm talking about a return to the law of God and repentance. I wanna close with Ezekiel 33 and verse 11 saying to them as i live says the lord i have no pleasure in the death of the wicked but that the wicked turn from his evil way and live turn ye turn ye from your evil ways for why will you die o house of israel and i just want to i want to repeat those words and say turn ye turn ye from your evil way why will you die Oh, house of America. I'm David Freeman and that's what's really in your Bible.
0: Statistics say that 84 percent of Americans believe in the divinity of Jesus Christ and 74 percent confess commitment to him. Yet America continues the downward spiral towards corruption and immorality. Why has Christianity not worked? With each generation we seem to go deeper and deeper into the sins that plague our society. In this publication, you will find many articles that will clearly answer the question, why religion will not save America. In the end, you may not like the answer, but the answer has always been there, in the pages of your Bible. Order your free copy of Will Religion Save America? Order by writing to Church of God, Rocky Mount, 27 Brookledge Lane, Rocky Mount, Virginia, 24151. That's Church of God Rocky Mount, 27 Brookledge Lane, Rocky Mount, Virginia, 24151.